Welcome to the Unveiling Your Creative Superpowers podcast, a Bright Ideas collective production. This is episode five of season one. I'm Emily Lewin, and I'm here with Sarah Bryan. Hello, everybody. And we are the Bright Ideas Collective. In this episode, we're going to discuss the fourth stage in the creative superhero journey, ownership. This is the stage where you begin to own your creative process and hone your skills. Playful, practical resources to light up your creativity. We help people engage with their creative journeys through group courses, workshops, conferences, and now this podcast. In the last episode, we talked about fun and games, an essential and intentionally joy filled part of your creative journey. In fun and games, you get to experiment with various creative expressions to find the one that really resonates with you. So in this episode, we're talking about ownership. Ownership is the stage of decision. This is the point when you start giving a damn about your creativity and your creative future. It's when you go all in with your creative expression. If you look at this in terms of a dating relationship, discovery is the stage where you have a crush on someone. Fun and games is that phase when you're talking and flirting. But ownership is the stage when you actually recognize that the person you're with really matters to you and that you want to do something serious in that relationship together. It's that defining the relationship moment that everyone eventually gets up to. And just the way things shift and open up in your relationship after you do something like that, the same thing happens in your creativity. Things will begin to open up for you in a new way when you decide that this creativity in you really matters and you want to pursue it with intention. But I'll give you one warning on this. If you decide to connect to your creativity this intentionally, it will begin to influence every area of your life as you move forward. So don't say we didn't warn you about that, okay? Ownership is the natural progression forward from fun and games. They may seem like opposites in terms of the way that you work them out, but they really do flow from one into the next. Where fun and games is about playing and intentionally not being serious about the work, ownership is where you begin to take yourself and your creative expression seriously. This doesn't mean that you have to have a specific skill set or level of accomplishments per se to be in the ownership stage, but that you honor the creative desires in your heart and you set an intention to pursue your creative expression. If you remember in our manifesto from episode one, we talked about being an artist has less to do with your medium and more to do with your intention. This is where your intention really sets in. So the way that this flows from fun and games into ownership is typically after you've played with the inexpensive supplies for a while, you've given yourself a chance to explore and experiment, you hit a point of frustration where you aren't able to communicate the nuance that you are starting to desire with those tools. This means you've reached the limits of your beginning boundaries and it's tired. Tired. It's tired. This means you've reached the limits of your beginning boundaries, and it's time to move forward into something more advanced. So ownership is also an extension of one of the things you would have discovered in fun and games, which is that you have worth as a person. So 
where in Fun and Games you discovered your worth in your personhood and in your creativity, ownership presents you with an opportunity to take that recognition of your worth and to begin to invest in your creative expression by giving yourself the resources to do it well. So this means you may be starting to commit resources like money, emotions, thought space, time, you know, whatever it may look like that you need to commit more seriously to your creative expression. Ownership is the stage where that's going to start to happen as you begin to intentionally invest those things. But all of this is, of course, rooted in you recognizing your worth, both as a person and in your creativity, that your creativity is worth the investment you're about to put into it. Now, this is also the stage when you decide that your creative work really matters to you, and it matters enough that you're going to start making these serious, real choices to cultivate it. And one question to ask yourself as you begin to enter this stage, or maybe if you're wondering if you're starting to get close to ownership, the question here is, is this creativity and my own powerful potential within it something that I value and desire enough to go after it with intention? If your answer to that is yes, then the odds are really good that you are right on the verge of ownership and you're ready to start stepping into the next phase and phase of the process. Yeah, ownership is where you take that intention and you choose a creative expression and begin honing your craft. We talked a little bit in some of the past episodes about the progression that you can take from experimenting and learning your creative expression and then adding excellence and moving into artistry. This is the stage where you get into excellence and artistry, where you hone your craft, where you begin to work towards a place of excellence in your particular creative expression. So One thing that we will touch on here and get into a bit more later is critique. So critique can really begin to have a voice in your creative expression in this stage. And there's a huge difference between critique and criticism. They are not the same. They're not the same. And truly, I believe that you don't have to listen to criticism really at all in this stage. Later, when you're a more experienced, more mature, creative superhero, if you want to take some criticism and try to find nuggets of goodness in it or work through that process, you can do that. Don't even worry about that right now. If someone is going to criticize you, just brush it off and move on. Critique, the key difference between critique and criticism is that criticism tears your work apart over its apparent shortcomings, where critique takes an objective look at your work in order to find ways that it can become more excellent. So critique is always going to find a path for you to move forward, but and it's going to point out things that you can do to grow. So it's not always going to feel good to get a critique. It's going to point out areas of growth, but it is going to feel life-giving. It's going to feel like forward momentum. With critique, you always have a path forward. With criticism, you're always met with a dead end. Criticism says your work is bad, and this is why it's bad. Critique says this is an area where you can grow, and here's an idea for how you can grow. Totally different outcomes from what can appear on the surface to be a similar interaction. So something really important to consider as you move into ownership and begin honing your craft. Look for the people who can give you good critiques. Yes, and remember, the key to critique is that it's going to give you hope. It's going to give you forward momentum, and the best critiques will actually give you tools to go forward. 
There will be advice with it that can help you get past that block where more than likely it's critiquing something where you didn't have either the literal tools or the skill set tools to be able to make what you were working on better. And a good critique will give you the equipment you need for that. So that is always something to look for, whether you're critiquing yourself or someone else is critiquing you. Always look for hope and equipping in what you're receiving. So the other sec- other thing that ownership brings in is excitement. This is a, it's a fun stage. Now, fun and games was the playtime stage, and it's easy to think that ownership is going to be, oh, so heavy and serious. I have to become a serious artist now. No, no. This is the point where if you were a literal superhero, you would be taking that costume from the drawing board and making it real and putting it on. This is the point when you actually get to put on the cape and see yourself as, you know, Superman or Wonder Woman or Aquaman, if that's your thing. The Flash. Or the Flash. But you won't be there long, so you won't see yourself very well. But you'll be there. But this is where you really start to dig into what is your motivator in your creative expression. Because every superhero has something in their heart that motivates them to do what they do. You know, regardless of what that may be, there is something that drives them. And this is really the point in your creative superhero journey where you start to connect with that. And you also start to develop your personal creative mission from here. When we use words like motivator and mission, they can sound really similar. And it can be sort of confusing to listen to them and go, now, now which is which? It's, it starts to feel like a chicken and the egg scenario if you don't define them clearly. So we're going to give you a little bit more depth on that. So the starting place is your motivator. This is the driving force behind your creative efforts. It's that that deep, deep desire inside your heart that gets you up in the morning. It's it's the fuel for your creative dreams. Um, We have a really good friend who refers to your motivator as your why. This is the why you get up in the morning. And as our friend Elizabeth Braswell puts it, she said, your why should make you cry. Basically, what that means is it's something you should be so passionate about that when you think about it, it actually makes a really intense set of emotions well up inside of you and really press you towards that thing that you are passionate about. And finding this is essential for living a sustainable lifestyle of creativity because it's your motivator that's going to give you the energy to keep pressing through the challenges that you'll come up against as you pursue your different creative expressions. Your mission, then, is the practical creative expression of your motivator. Though your motivator is a stable thing, it's like a core value for you, your mission can change and grow as you change and evolve. For example... At Brad Ideas, our motivator, our driving force, our why, is to empower people like you to unlock their creativity by providing resources that bring emotional, mental, spiritual healing and lead to a lifestyle of creativity. Basically, we want to see a community of thriving, wholehearted, creative people that live healthy, creative lives. That is our motivation behind everything we do at Brad Ideas. Our mission changes and has changed as we've gone along. So when we started, our mission was doing 12-week classes. And halfway through that, we realized we were writing a book and our mission shifted to being to write a book. And then 
we spent a long time working on the mission of editing and refining and getting that book out. And then we've kind of spent a little while actually looking back at our motivator and trying to figure out what the best next mission was for us. And we ended up coming to the idea of a podcast. So your mission changes and evolves as you grow throughout time, but your motivator stays constant. It is your driving force. It is the burning passion, like Sarah said, that gets you up in the morning. Okay. So we know what you're all thinking. Motivators and missions are great, but how in the world do I know what mine are? Well, the first step in this process is to actually settle your motivator. And that comes by understanding the things that you're passionate about. You know, it may be helpful for you to write them down. You know, what are the things that make you excited? What topics bring tears to your eyes? Are you are you really moved by solving world hunger issues? Do you have a, you know, a heart for animals or a heart for the elderly or, you know, whatever it may look like for you? It may be something on a big global scale. It may be something local. It may be something even as close as your own home or your family. But the odds are good that there is something in you that you're very passionate about and that you're very motivated by. And pay attention to those things, you know, pay attention to the intense reactions, even if they're sort of negative reactions like anger or, you know, injustice that burns up, that can be a really good sign of passion just as much as the things that make you happy. And, you know, as you watch them, you'll find that these are the indicators of where your passions are, which is a good sign of your motivators. So, you know, once you see those passions, start trying to put them into words. What is it that you really feel compelled by in life? And then you can craft that into more of a motivator statement, kind of like what we did, where maybe it's a little bit more formalized language for it, but it gives you a very clear way of stating what motivates you at heart as a creative. An example, I was listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast this last week, actually on my way to Winston-Salem for our hanging out that we're doing and recording this podcast. And they were talking about your calling as an artist. And another way to look at your motivator could potentially be your calling. And they were talking about how some artists are called to the joyful things and to bring joy into the world. That is their calling. And everything that they do ends up being about life and joy and beauty. And some artists are called to deal with some of the harder things, talking about grief, talking about pain, talking about trauma, and bringing life and beauty to those things. And so that even may be a way to look at it for you if you're searching for your motivator. That was episode 12 on Makers and Mystics, uh, What the Night Sings with Vesper Stamper. And super good if you want to hear a little bit about navigating that. But that can be a really great way to examine maybe it's a broader Maybe you start with a broader idea of, am I more drawn to the joyful, beautiful things or to the heavier, you know, harder things? And neither one is better or worse. I think sometimes as artists, we can tend to feel like, you know, we want one or the other and our calling may lead us towards a different one than the one we think we want. And we can sometimes tend to think that talking about heavier issues is somehow better than talking about happier things or the other way around. So give yourself space and a little bit of grace to figure out what your actual calling is and what is the thing that makes you feel alive. And one of the things going back 
all the way for us, all the way up to episode one, where we talked about a good sign of creativity is when you are one of the people that sees the issues to the problems in front of you. That's also a good sign of where your motivator is, because oftentimes you will be really passionately drawn to solving certain issues, and those issues are indicators of your motivator. So, you know, that can look like making, you know, some sort of creative expression that's a political statement or that helps people or that spurs people to change in a certain area, whatever that may look like for you. But again, you can look for that problem that you feel compelled to solve, and that's another good sign of the motivator. One thing to keep in mind with what Sarah was talking about, it gets really easy to mix up your mission and your motivator. So a great example of this, I think, is in Wonder Woman, she is on a mission for pretty much the whole story to find and kill Ares, the god of war. And the interesting thing is that her motivator, her motivation, her why is not killing someone. Her motivation is actually peace and harmony and the end of violence. And in her world, as far as she knows, the only way to achieve that is to kill Ares because he's the god of war. And so her motivator, though, is peace. So it's important to differentiate those things, that you can see hunger in the third world and find a solution for it. Finding the solution is your mission. Maybe your motivator is ending world hunger. So just kind of differentiating between those because your motivator needs to be deep enough have enough conviction in your heart and be broad and large enough that it can carry you through your creative journey, whereas your mission is going to change over time. Which actually brings us to the next step in the clarifying process, which is finding your mission. And like we talked about, the mission is the practical expression of your motivator. So this comes about by really looking at the skill sets you have and the interests you have. Um, some of these skill sets on a creative level, you may be just discovering if you're just coming out of fun and games, or you may be a little deeper into some of them than others, which is fine. But as you look at these skill sets, as you look at the creative expressions you're interested in and the different areas of practical application that you have in your life and in your creativity, how can those line up with your motivator? How can they help you further yourself towards whatever it is your motivator is drawing you to do? So, you know, say you are motivated to help animal causes. How does your particular skill sets work with that? How can you use it for that? You know, maybe you become, let's say maybe you have painting skills and you become really good at painting pet portraits. And then from there, you take that money and you put it back towards some sort of charitable work that helps rescue animals and put them in good homes. That would be a mission of painting pet portraits and collecting money to donate that feeds back to your motivator of taking care of animals. So it can be, you know, something like that. It could be something completely different than what I came up with. You people are creative. You'll think of things. We trust you. But that's the mission. The mission puts practical legs on the motivator that's driven by your passions. Once you find your mission, you can begin to set goals and have dreams for your creative future. So for us, our motivator is 
seeing a community of wholehearted, healthy, thriving, creative people, our mission then is creating resources. And those resources change over time, but we continue to find different resources to express our motivator. So for you, you're going to be able to narrow your focus and begin to direct your creativity down a really specific path of creative expression. And in order to do this, you have to set good boundaries for yourself and your life. You may have noticed we come back to boundaries every single episode. We like boundaries. They are essential. You cannot live a thriving, healthy, creative life without boundaries. You've got to have them. So, and they look different in every stage. So in this stage, it's a lot about saying yes to your creative superpowers and no to the things that are not in your lane. And one example of this is the idea that Lisa Turkers presents in The Best Yes, that doing what you're called to means learning to say yes to the best things and no to the things that distract you from your true mission. Another way to say this is good is the enemy of best. So you really need to look at your life and find where are the things that I'm doing because they're good and what are the things that I'm doing that are actually advancing my motivator, that are actually driving my calling forward. Those are the ones that you want to focus on as you move into ownership. Some of those boundaries are going to look like saying no to opportunities even that don't advance your motivator or or your mission at that moment. Sarah and I have had to do that. We both love speaking at conferences and doing workshops, and we've had a couple of opportunities to speak at different conferences or different events that just didn't fit with what we were focused on at that time. And so we ended up turning those down, even though they seemed really great, and even though they were with people that we really loved, because we just didn't feel like they were the best for us at that moment. They were good, but not the best. So find the best and focus on that as you move into ownership. Another factor to consider with ownership is that this process will redefine how you view failure. I know, I know, we all just shuddered because I brought up the big F word, failure. Oh my God. So the thing with stepping into ownership is that it requires you to take creative risk. You're moving up into a more serious expression of your creativity. That's risky. You're going to try things that you're not guaranteed to be great at the first time out because you're trying things that are a little bit higher up than you've reached before. This is good. It's a good thing for your creativity and it will help it grow. But those risks may not always work out like you thought they were going to. They may not always work out at all. Sometimes they just won't. And that's how it goes. But instead of giving up on the that creative expression that you took a risk in because you failed, oh my God, you failed... You need to reframe your failure so that it's something you can move forward with. One of the things that we like to say around here at Bright Ideas is that failure is an experience. It's not a destination or an identity. What this means is that failure is just something you go through. It's not like you're going to fail at something and then the failure police are going to come out and go, aha, you have failed. Now you must go to failure town with all the other people that aren't any good at anything. There is no such thing as failure town, and you don't get sent there if you don't get something right the first time. It's just an experience. 
you just tried something and took a risk and it didn't pan out like you were aiming for, but that doesn't make it bad. That actually makes it an incredible learning experience because failure can teach you a lot about how to do things better, how to do things differently, how to anticipate an issue that you didn't know might happen because you'd never tried it before. So if you look at failure as a learning opportunity, you can actually mine some incredibly good knowledge from it in the process. So here's a personal example of this in my own life. So by day, when I'm not doing podcasting, I'm an interior designer. And I work in commercial furniture, which means I pretty much design cubicles all day long. It's actually more fun than it sounds, I promise. But we had a cubicle job about a year or so ago doing a really unusual design that we'd never done before with parts we'd never really used in that way. And quite frankly, it didn't go well at all. Like, it was really bad because there were some things beyond our control that didn't work right, but there were also things that we literally did not know about the parts we were using that made them not work well for the application we were putting them to. And it wasn't really very fun in the process because, of course, you don't want to fail when there's a client paying you money to get something right. That's no fun. But it taught us a lot about this product and a lot of things we didn't know so that as we've moved forward using that same product and those same particular parts in other projects, we now know that, oh, this is a particular thing with this part that we need to be aware of so that we can use it the right way next time. And now we're equipped to actually succeed the next time we try this again because we have the tools we need, but we got the tools because we failed at the beginning. So that's an example of failure being a teacher they can actually give you really good tools going forward. But you have to be willing to see the failure as an opportunity to learn. This is the perfect time to fail because you're just starting out and the risks feel great right now. And they are, but they're only going to increase as you go forward. So the things that you're risking at the moment are potentially less than you would be risking to fail as you go forward in your journey and get more opportunities and invest more money and have more influence or all of those things. So it's important to fail at the beginning as much as you can. Not that you want to fail on purpose, but Creativity Inc. is a really phenomenal book by Ed Catmull, who is the leader of Pixar Animation Studios. And in the book, they talk about their mindset about failure. It's really incredible, but essentially they try to fail fast and low to the ground, meaning that any new idea they have, they get it moving as quickly as they can and as essentially low budget or as low risk as they can and just try it. And then if it topples over, no big deal. They learned, they try something new and they move on. So I would really encourage you, I know we're talking about investing in these different things, but just because you're investing, don't be afraid to continue to risk and try and experiment and grow. You're just doing it with more nuance and more excellence, but don't be afraid to try and take those risks because failure really is a friend here. I love Thomas Edison's quote, I haven't failed. I've simply found 10,000 ways that don't work. If you have failed once or twice you're still doing pretty okay. Thomas Edison was an incredible inventor, and he failed over 10,000 times just trying to find the filament for the light bulb. So I think you're doing okay if you fail five or six times along the way. Even if you failed five or 6,000 times along the way, you're still doing good. It's okay. You are still learning things. In fact, I love this quote, and 
Unfortunately, I don't know who to attribute it to. It's probably one of those that's lost its attribution over the years. But I love this quote that the only time you really fail is if you don't learn something from your failure. That's really the only time a failure is bad, is if you don't learn something from it. Because if you learn something from it that you can apply the next time and maybe be better the next time you get there, then that failure was still a positive and it was still useful to you. Is that saying you don't learn anything the second time you get kicked in the head by a mule? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard this. I know a lot of Southern phrases and that's a new one to me. Well, bite me on the butt and call me an apple. I've never heard that one before. (laughs) Finding your mission and grabbing hold of your motivator is about running in your lane, basically. It's figuring out what am I going for, what's my lane, and just running as fast as you can. And when you run, you fall over sometimes. It's totally okay. Get up and keep running. Keeping on running is the essential part. And maybe learn to tie your shoelaces better for the future. Yes, tie shoelaces are good. Uh, so ownership takes tremendous courage. We are joking about some of the risks and the things, but in reality, we know this stage takes tremendous courage, but the reward is also great. Your reward is opportunity and momentum, and you're going to see it as you move into this stage. We promise. No, really. We promise. It is good. It's scary sometimes, but it's good. So now for this episode's actions. So action number one is, surprise, surprise, finding your motivator. For this, you're going to make a list of the things that move real emotions in you. What things do you love? What things do you hate? What things bring you joy? What activities or interests make you feel most alive? Now take your list and dive a little deeper into it. Ask yourself some questions about what you wrote down so that would be a question like, what is it about blank thing that makes you feel alive or passionate or empowered, excited, driven, curious, etc., so on and so forth. Now keep asking yourself these questions until you reach a point of conviction. So you'll feel it in your gut when you hit that sort of bedrock place on your motivator. And when you hit that spot that you're like, ooh, yeah, like that, that feels true about what really moves my heart. As Sarah mentioned earlier, like our friend Elizabeth Braswell says, your why should make you cry. So if you keep asking yourself, what is it about this that makes me feel alive? Okay, so what is it about that that makes me feel alive? And you dig and dig and dig until you reach the thing where... You feel that emotion. You don't have to cry, but a lot of times it's a good indicator that you've found it. Yeah, and once you hit that bedrock place, that's when you can start crafting your motivator into a clearer phrase. Um, you know, we really recommend like one or two sentences. This does not have to be lengthy, but just a clear phrasing that gives you language for what motivates you. And you may adjust the language with time, but it should reflect that very stable, firm core value in you that's motivating your creativity from here on out. Action two, find your mission. List out your personal skill sets, interests, talents. If you're just coming out of fun and games, you may still be figuring this out. It's totally okay. Just write down any of the creative expressions or skill sets that you have been trying and are excited about developing. 
and then compare this list to your motivator. How do your practical abilities fit with your passionate dreams? The places where the two connect are likely the areas where you can develop your mission. And action number three, say yes to the best and no to the good. So with this action, you want to look at the activities and obligations that are in your life right now and ask yourself, do these things line up with the motivator and the missions in my heart? Do they mesh with the things that you came up with in actions one and action two? And for the things that don't line up, look at them and consider how can you step back from those to make room for the things that do line up with your motivator and mission. And now we know that there are certain obligations in life, like family duties and that kind of thing, that you may not be able to completely drop out of your life. But there may still be ways that you can look at from you know your creative perspective that you can adjust those obligations or adjust how you meet them so that you can give yourself more bandwidth to go after the things that do connect to your motivator. That's really the goal here. And, you know, to find that space where you can connect to what motivates you and to give it time and space in your life. We would love to hear from you about what your motivator is or what your missions are, the way that you're finding those things. Feel free to reach out to us. We are on Instagram at Bright Ideas Co. We are on Facebook. We have a website brightideascollective.com. And on the website, we will have a PDF version of these actions that you can download. You can go to brightideascollective.com slash UYCS podcast and click on the episode link for this episode. And it will be right there. We're also going to have show notes and links to the resources we've mentioned and all kinds of stuff. So please check that out. You can also email us info at brightideascollective.com. And you can use the hashtag UYCS podcast if you're sharing on social media to make sure we see it. So this has been episode five of the Unveiling Your Creative Superpowers podcast, a production of Bright Ideas Collective. I'm Sarah Bryan, and this is Emily Lewin. See you next time. See ya. Don't forget, in addition to our website, you can now listen to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Tune in, SoundCloud, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. While you're there, feel free to subscribe and make sure that you get the episodes as soon as we release them. And feel free to leave us a review. It helps us know what you think about the podcast. Mm-hmm.